Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Nomad Athlete Radio, episode 151. On to the next, next phase, Doug. That's right. We broke 150. But not long ago, we were celebrating our 100th episode. Yeah, I know. And 50 today, weeks, yeah, I guess. 50% more than that. <laughs> yeah. And we got we have shots of, of Bacardi 151. <laughs> is, that, is, that, is that what it's called? It is Bacardi. It right? is Bacardi. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But we don't. We no, should. we do not. No, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. No. That's not very good. I've, I've, I haven't really drank that much, but uh, did for a little while back, I don't know, senior week or something, and it was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, uh, today we are talking about Q&A, because Q&A sessions are fun and, and they're easy, and uh, we're, you know, I just got back from an extended trip, which was a lot of fun, and I'm going soon on another and finishing up the book, so Q&A episode is going to be an easy one. And uh, apparently people like it. One of the questions that we're answering, someone said, someone named Dev said that these episodes are, are his favorites. His, probably. Maybe. Dev, Devin, I don't know. But uh, anyway, so, so this would be good. Some good questions. Anything uh, before we start, Doug, to, to jump into? Would you like to update, update people in your life or anything? Well, we're just a couple days out from the 4th of July holiday weekend here in the United States. And you're out of, out of town again. I sure am. And we're going to take a little break. Well, yep, we're going to take a break. <laughs> we, we've had a lot of difficult conversations, we, Doug and I, and we've decided we need to take a break. <laughs> we, need, uh, we need to step apart from each other for a little bit. Yes. Now, we're just going to take a one-week break from the podcast, which I don't know when the last time we took a one-week break was. We've, we've This is one one area of Nomad Athlete, really one unique area of Nomad Athlete that has been <laughs> consistent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that's probably because someone else is involved besides me because you got me being the yeah you know the dominatrix yeah so um let's see what what is there to say before you've been running early in the morning you told me <laughs> that's that's a new yeah new habit. i have been uh i've been trying to get out for either a ride or a run uh like right as the sun's coming up and try to get it done early so i can start working by eight o'clock mm-hmm which uh, has been good. It's been a lot of fun while I'm doing it, and it feels great for the first hour or so after I'm back. But then I, I've gotten pretty tired. You're tired? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's okay. It's, I mean, it's a nice way to mix things up. We were talking about that last time, and that's, not, that's another way to do it. I went through a little short phase where I was getting up, and is it called sun salutations, the yoga thing? Yep. So yeah, I did like five minutes of that, mm-hmm. and then went and ran, and it was really nice. The sun would come up, and... It was good. And then I saw a bear where we lived, and I stopped doing that. So it wasn't about to do Ooh, that. Oh, I have a good bear story from oh, yeah? yesterday. All right. Let's do it quick. All right. Real quick. I was coming down a trail, steep trail, um, that had switchbacks. Ran out on a switchback, and I uh, just turned the corner, and there's a big bear waiting for me in the trail um, further down, you know, obviously on the other side of the switchback. And so I stop, and I look at it, and I kind of yell and hopes that it goes away. But it just sits there and stares at me, and it's like looks just as frightened as I do. <laughs> Not sure what to do, and I can't go back up the trail because then I'd be going up the switchback right next to him, you know, within like five feet of him. Right. So much better where I am. And we sit there and we stare at, stare at each other, and I talk to him for probably like ten, at least ten <laughs> yeah. minutes. I'm like, "Bear, you gotta oh go, you gotta move." You know, I'm like trying to tell him to either go up the trail or down the trail so I can go one way or the other. And eventually, he finally just kind of turns around and goes into the woods. But oh my god, it was uh, it was funny. <laughs> it was I don't, frightening I mean, in the moment. 
I've only since since having my one bear encounter have I learned that you're supposed to make noise, or, and I wouldn't know what type of bear you're supposed to do that with because you know, that's not the advice for all the bears apparently. All black bears are supposed to look big, and make noise. Okay, and and that's the only kind of bear we have around here. So I I think no matter even even knowing that advice, I don't think I would yell at a bear <laughs> and start talking to it. I think I would just run away or walk slowly away. Yeah, well, I had nowhere to go. I mean, I could have like bushwhacked through the through the woods, but I know that he would have been much better at bushwhacking through the woods right. than, than me. Right. And would, uh, so, so I because I couldn't go back up where I came from, or would have passed, right. you know, oh pretty close God. to him, and I couldn't go further down. The I just, I just wouldn't wouldn't run anymore if I <laughs> like I don't know what to do. I'd start bringing bear spray and all that stuff, uh-huh. which, which I guess wouldn't be a friendly thing to do. But I, I, I don't know. I would that would terrify me. The, the what it, every time I've seen a bear, what my my reaction is to or you know what i think i do is i grab a rock you know in case i could, in case i could throw at it if it did start charging me or something like that but the, the only rock i could find that was without me having without me forcing me to move very far was a pretty large rock so i picked it up but it was requiring two hands so basically like it would have to get right in front of me and i was like maybe right. I could, maybe i could you know like oh just like knock it out or something not that i would ever want to do anything no, of to course harm not. a bear of course you know, not but you gotta me. look out for number one right you gotta yeah, be ready for anything. That's right. But I didn't have to do anything, and he walked away, and we were very we were nice. Just fine. Good encounter. Everybody's better for it. <laughs> All right, so let's jump into the questions. We've got about ten of them here, compiled by the lovely Esther, who many of you, if you've emailed, have probably had some interaction with. Um. So first one is from Dev. <laughs> I, I'm surprised because that's not the name on the email, but that is the name that uh, he or she signs it with. So, oh, yeah. sort of a general question about eating prior to a run. Um, Dev says, I usually run after I eat something light because I notice I'm unable to complete the planned miles if I start off hungry. So I usually eat a banana or half a bagel about 30 minutes before I run, fuel with dates during the run if necessary. But there are people who talk about the benefits of running on an empty stomach. So Dev asks, if there any, is there any benefit to doing this and what are the dangers and et cetera, et cetera. So, um... I mean, I have I have limited experience with this, but but some. First of all, I would I would say it's interesting. I mean, I would wonder, Dev, when you say you uh, you start off if you, if you start off with an empty stomach, you have trouble finishing the run. I wonder is that sort of a psychological thing, like just having food in your stomach kind of keeps you out there running, or do you truly run out of energy? Because uh, if it's an energy thing, I would be surprised that a bagel would make much of a difference because that sort of thing, unless it's a really long run, isn't going to have much time to even get into your bloodstream if you're only having it 30 minutes before the run. Uh, so so that leads me to wonder if some of it is just the comfort of, of having that food in there. But either way, it seems like seems like you like to eat something before the run. Um, don't I mean, if, if you are trying to get stuff before the run, don't forget about fruit juice or the dates before the run. That stuff will typically get in there faster, uh, at least in my experience. But the real question is, what about running on an empty stomach? So when people talk about these benefits, Doug, I assume we're talking now about about this this carb depleted running. Is that the idea? That's that's what I would. I mean, this assume, you know, you yes. could talk about weight loss benefits and things like that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I mean, I think I think the the principle that's going on, right? The idea the idea of doing that is that you're trying to teach your body, train your body to burn fat instead of sugar, instead of having to first go through all the sugar that's in your system and then resort to fat, you're trying to just, you know, force it to rely on fat from the beginning so that it gets better at that. Because if you look at elite runners and you look at the amount of carbohydrate they are burning compared to fat, they are typically burning way more fat than a, than an average runner. Mm -hmm. So that's the point. The question then is, does actually 
running on an empty stomach help you to get there? And that, you know, I don't know. I think there's, I've seen plenty of people who saying that it does. I haven't seen any real, you know, hard science that, that shows that you actually can improve your body's ability to do that by not having carbohydrate. Um, I mean, I found that over, over five to seven years of running, I became, I, I could get through runs without food easier. And even without water, which is surprising, because I don't think you really can train your body not to need water, but I felt like I needed less as I just got more experience. Maybe it was because the running took less out of me with time or something. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Like, I've done it a few times. It's kind of a miserable experience. It's a little bit dangerous, I think, if, if you're, especially if you don't know your body that well and you don't know at what point you do need to really stop pushing it. Uh, so I would always bring an energy gel or two with you when you're trying that. Make sure you absolutely have something. Uh, so that you don't get stranded out there and you're you're suddenly hours without food when you actually need it. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I I don't know for sure that when I did that 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 actually sped along my ability to you know to learn to burn fat, or if it's just something that comes from from doing it. I think what I would say, uh, and then I will let you of course jump in here, Doug, because you probably have more to say about it than I do. Is I just kind of became mindful of eating, and and what what worked for me was like. When I was ready to eat or drink something, I kind of started asking myself, do I really need this thing now or want this thing now? Or am I just doing it because I'm following some rule that says I should have this every half hour or something? Uh, so I got to the point where I, I started doing that, and that, it seemed, got me to the point where I needed less and less. But that's that's about it. Uh, someone else, though, could argue that if you do stick to the schedule and you don't wait till you're hungry or require that you absolutely need something in order to have it, that you're going to get a better workout in as a result because you'll you'll have more in the tank and you'll be able to push harder and you know force your body to to work harder and then adapt from that. So, you know, I guess different different philosophies. For me, it just seemed that over time I got better at it without really having to try. And and for me, that was a more comfortable and probably less dangerous way to do it. But what do you think, Doug? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I, I would agree with you. I think that over time, your body just begins to adapt and learns how to both process the sugars and the fat um, on its own a little bit. Um, you know, I I think that it's important for you to think about also about how long you're going. If you're only going out for an hour or you know a 40 minute run, then you probably don't need any food. Um, and and probably even the like Matt said, the bagel or the banana that you're eating is is not going to be processed quick enough to uh, to really give you much energy. Um, I also I I personally don't like running on the feeling of an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. So you know, I like to have a piece of toast before. I, in these early morning runs, I'm waking up with enough time to eat a piece of toast just because I don't, I don't like it when my stomach is growling during a run. Um, but that's not an energy thing. That's just a comfort thing for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, as far as, as not eating on the run on purpose, I don't really buy that it, it does much good for you. I think that you your quality of your workout will go way down if you're fighting a bonk on a long run uh, just because you're you're depriving yourself of calories. Um and, and I, and I, you know, I don't, I mean, there are some people who will say that you can race and, and do everything with just one fat, but, um, you know, I think that you're going to perform a lot better if you are using sugars and processing sugars. So, um, aside from what your body naturally does, I don't think that that's necessarily a big benefit for most runners, um, especially for shorter distance runners and even up to a marathon. Uh, yeah. I think it's an interesting concept, and for sure, there are a lot of people who, who really do believe in it, even ultra runners who I've seen who just will eat mainly eat fat as their fuel for an ultra. Uh, I don't know if they're the ones winning or performing really well in ultras. I really don't know. I haven't looked into it all that much. 
Uh, but I think it'd be nice if there was like I, a, a nice book about this or a scientific approach to it. And maybe there is, but the only thing I've really seen, Stu Middleman, who's the, the ultra distance runner used to run like thousand mile races in 10 days or something, you know, like really, really super ultra distance stuff. Uh, he's big on burning fat. That was always his, his approach. And some of the ways I think that they also suggest you keep your body in this fat burning mode, not just him, but others is, uh, warming up really, really slowly rather than jumping right into running at whatever your pace is because that apparently that shock to your body of such a change in exertion level sermons and forces you to go right into sugar burning mode instead of staying in this fat burning mode that you should be in most of the time mm. if you're a pretty low stress person apparently you can be a really high stress person and kind of be burning sugar even in your normal life which i think is not not probably a good thing <laughs> um so you know there, there are things like that he's also just a slow pace advocate in general Stu middleman he talks about 12, 13, 14-minute miles, even though he's capable of much more. Uh, obviously, if you're running the slower miles, you're going to stay in the fat-burning zone longer than if you push the intensity. Right. So uh, that's that's kind of all I really know about that topic. I do think it's interesting, but uh, I, I don't know I don't know that there's anyone any like really famous elite runners who who advocate that or swear by that. But I don't know. I mean, if, you know, elite marathoners don't really eat sugar during the races. I hear they just basically drink electrolytes and water mm-hmm. because they're good enough already at burning fat that they don't need that carbohydrate during that two hours that they're out there right and they're only out there for two hours you know, yeah i mean that's an important thing to keep in mind you know your body's gonna already have carbohydrate stores ready um at that point yep so all right moving on to maggie's question who says long time listener first time caller uh, i'm currently a vegetarian deployed to kuwait and therefore limited thus the need for supplements because I normally get things from natural sources, I'm lost on the best kind out there for supplements. Okay. And Maggie's a runner, doing the CrossFit stuff as well, preparing for a run across America. Cool. Uh, yeah. Any advice on good sources of plant proteins, veggies, etc., that will sustain a shipment across the Pacific? Okay. Um, so I guess the question is, if you're if you're kind of assuming that, that getting... I'm assuming she's not asking for, like, how do you get fruits and vegetables across the Pacific. Cause I don't, I don't know about shipping or any of that. I'm not the expert on how to, how to internationally ship produce. Uh, there may be ways to even do that. I don't know, but I assume Maggie's asking, how do you, what, what are some good, you know, packaged or protein, I don't mean, not protein packaged or processed type foods that will still let you get some good veggies some good, the stuff that's in vegetables and even protein. Yep. Um, okay. So, I, I tend to like Vega products. I think I think they've kind of as as competition has sort of caught up, maybe they're not, you know, so unique as being good somewhat nearly whole food supplements and they're not even all whole foods by any means. Um I don't know, I just I mean hemp protein I'd like cuz it's such minimally processed protein compared to others. Um really I don't know much more about protein specifically. And I don't know, I mean, I guess it depends what you're eating. I still don't know that you need protein. I mean, if, if you can get grains and beans and stuff like that, even though it's not fresh produce, you may not need to be supplementing with protein. I, I don't know Maggie or Maggie's body, but who knows? But I wouldn't just assume that because you can't eat fruits and vegetables, you therefore need to supplement with protein. First thing. Um, as for like supplements, I mean, I think greens powder is is not a bad thing, not a bad idea to, you know, just put that in your in your drink three times a day, some, some amount of it. You can get a bunch of those phytonutrients that are in greens, um, amazing grass used to make some of that when I used to do that stuff. I'm sure there are many other, oh, athletic greens is one that, that Tim Ferriss talks about a lot or advertises a lot on his site. Aloha had a good Aloha, greens Aloha, NMA sponsor had a greens mix. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty tasty. 
Yeah, and their protein uh, their protein powder was very tasty as well. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? I think the, the Juice Plus people will tell you that Juice Plus is what you need. Those, you know what those are? Those yeah. little, I think it's some kind of like MLM network marketing thing where people sign up and they need to need to sell that to other people to make money. You know, and uh, they they email every once in a while at Nomi Athlete, just just a random you know reader or listener who who has become a representative or distributor yeah. for them. And and the idea is that they have concentrated all these fruit and vegetable juices into these little gummy type candies that taste really good, but. Uh, I don't know. So who, who knows? I mean, maybe they're giving you a lot of those. It's sort of like fruit juice in a pill, basically, or vegetable juice mm-hmm. in a pill, which, as anyone listening to, or most people listening to this will know, we should probably be suspicious of off the bat, uh, <laughs> the idea that you can put that sort of thing into a pill. Right. I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, I don't know if there's good science on it or not, but uh, maybe, maybe if, if there's no other options, maybe it's not a bad idea. So... what about... Um, I mean, we take... Both of us take supplements... B12, yep. Yeah, B12 supplements, and or, I, I guess, do you still take the multivitamin? Right now, I don't. Right now, I just take vitamin D and B12. Okay. Um, not for any real reason. I just, I just kind of go back and forth. I just read different people and hear different things. Sometimes, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm just not convinced you need it, and I'm not convinced you don't. So I kind of sometimes <laughs> do it, and sometimes I don't. Um. Yeah. So I mean, I, those. Are, I always like Dr. Furman's stuff. I just think he. Yep. I think he's scientific and i like the way he does things and, and the amount of rigor that he seems to put the stuff through that he chooses mm. to put in his product so i'm a big yep. fan of that um yeah, I, I take dr Furman's multi-day or multivitamin mm-hmm. uh and that's that's been great so i mean you can get that online yeah and so, I, what i like about that is that it's he, he does it's not mega doses of these vitamins and, and the as i said the sources he gets the stuff from he makes sure it's you know whole food sources and really use useful for the body um any other sort of like food stuff, Doug? I wonder, like, like you know, not necessarily the the stuff that's in a veggies powder or a greens powder or a fruit pill. Um, I mean, I'm sure there are bars and things like that that you could get across the Pacific that's going to be pretty close to Whole Foods still, right? You can get like dried yeah. dried fruits that are in now in bar form, mixed with some oats and who knows what else. I mean, there's plenty of that good stuff. I don't know all that many brands just because I don't typically, you know, we, we can we just go buy the fruit and vegetables and we're we're fine. But I would imagine there's tons of of new bar. And I, know, I know for a fact there are tons of new bars out there on the market, and I'm sure you could get them to sit across the Pacific. Um, I like the Bearded Brothers. Bars. Yes, they're they're good from time to time. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I, I would look around. There there are plenty of good meal replacement bars. And I've seen some things, I've seen some like oatmeal type bars too, where you basically eat them with two cups of water and they say it's essentially exactly the same as a bowl of oatmeal hmm. because of the oatmeal and the fruit and stuff that's in there. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's uh, probably enough there. Next one from Kimberly says, uh, I've become vegan because of ethical reasons. However, uh, see a lot of testimonies about people losing weight after starting the vegan lifestyle, but I've been a strict vegan for about a month and have gained about five pounds. Wondering if you have any clue why this happened. Thanks a lot. Okay, so the the obvious thing, red flag for me, is that the word vegan doesn't necessarily mean healthy. It, you know, it's there's plenty of vegan junk food in the world. People a lot of times use the word, the phrase plant based nowadays to kind of imply the the healthy version or the vegan for health reasons, uh, where you're not eating the vegan junk food. So I have no idea what you are eating, Kimberly. It, but when you just say vegan, it's quite possible that you're eating plenty of stuff. So a lot of people just have the idea that if they just eat vegan, they're going to lose weight. But it's got to be really whole foods and, and or, or nutritarian, as Dr. Furman calls it, uh, where it's where it's lots of fresh fruits and vegetables and beans and grains if you want to do that. 
um, and not not a lot of processed stuff. So who knows? Uh, if if you're already doing that and you've gained five pounds, one thing could be that that's where your body is just going, and and five pounds are, is turns out not to be a bad thing. It's a good thing for you to put on. Could also be that it is a stress type of response. I mean, if, if this has been a massive change, you say talk about it being an ethical change, and a lot of times when people do it for ethical reasons, they do they do go all the way vegan overnight. Uh, that is a tremendous amount of stress. I think it's good if you've made it last and made it work, and, and the only negative effect has been five pounds. Uh, I think that's that's wonderful that you've made that happen. Um, but, you know, that, that could be, if that has just been a major point of stress for you, then it's possible that your body has hung on to some extra weight because of that. So, um, I don't know. That, that's all I would do. I mean, check out, we've already mentioned Dr. Furman a couple times, but check out his Eat to Live program. I think that's that's my favorite of, like, the weight loss programs. Um, and it's, it doesn't even have to be for weight loss, but so many people that I've talked to have reported doing that and losing weight. And what I, what I like about it is that you, you lose weight on a totally whole food, healthy way. It's not a caloric restriction or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Um, next one from Debbie says, Hey Matt, uh, enjoying your emails. That said, how do you handle cravings for other stuff like sugar? Question mark, exclamation point. Uh Oh, that that means it's pretty serious. Okay. Um I mean I don't really think you need to handle cravings. I think I think <laughs> I think you can indulge cravings and and be okay. And I think if you're not like a food addict or someone who is necessarily going to eat the whole bag of potato chips because they had one chip or eat, you know, whatever the equivalent of that is with a sugar thing, then like I feel like if you just if you just move your diet this direction, it's okay to still indulge the cravings now and then, and that your body over time your taste buds start to change and you start wanting that stuff less. And then after a few weeks or a few months, you notice you're eating less of it, and then it just eventually kind of, for me, the the craving for that stuff mostly went entirely away. I mean, now and then I'll still eat something, but the cravings in general of any type of food has has kind of waned in the past five years. So that that's my approach. I really don't worry about handling. I say indulge it as long as you're not someone who, you know, can't control once they've started eating something. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I think that, that what you said is key about the how your your taste buds adjust. And, um, I, you know, that, that that was for me when I was craving things that were meat-based and, you know, or cheese-based. Um, and then, of course, things like sugar and salt and potato chips and junk food. Um, you know, if you kind of work your way off of them and, and cut them out slowly, then you're not going to crave them nearly as much. And then the other, the other thing is just to, you know, to make sure that you're portion controlling yourself and not bringing the entire bag of potato chips or the entire box of cookies or, or whatever it is uh, to the table or to the couch with you and put, you know, however many you think you want to indulge yourself in that craving um, on a plate or in a bowl and, and then, you know, stop yourself after that. That helps. For yeah, me, for sure. Uh, the only other things I have to say about cravings are if you are talking about cravings for animal products and, and you've gone vegan or gone vegetarian and now you're craving these things that for whatever reason, whether it's ethical or health, you're saying, I can't eat that anymore. Uh, that's that's a perfect time to use the meat substitutes and the cheese substitutes and the vegan junk food we just talked about in the last question. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it's a great food for transitioning. If you if you want to feel like you haven't, to kind of limit the stress of a change like this, and, and those those cravings are certainly a manifestation of stress, um, you, you know, eat eat those foods. Eat the fake meat in exactly on the plate where the, where the fake chicken or the real chicken used to be, but now it's a fake chicken breast. 
like it's not that good for you, but if that's what it takes for you to get used to eating this way, then I think it it serves that purpose really, really well. Um, another similar strategy for me, like when I really wanted buffalo chicken wings after I went vegetarian, was I would just order French fries and then pour hot sauce all over them and eat that. Because like yeah, it's not exactly the same as buffalo chicken wings, but ten minutes after you've eaten that, you you pretty much feel the same way, right? <laughs> just you, as crappy. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, no, really. I mean, you feel just uh-huh. as crappy. You've eaten the salt and fat, and uh-huh. that's what you're really wanting. I think more than needing to eat animal flesh. So you know that worked. Like you can eat pretty crappily, like like you said, if you, if you want, without necessarily going vegetarian or vegan. I mean, or or violating your vegetarian or vegan thing. So I'm not sure. I think Debbie's probably saying other stuff like sugar. Um, the last thing I would say about that is like, don't forget the idea of little challenges. I think they're really valuable. Like we talk about changing your taste buds. And for me, the, I guess the, the analog here, I don't have the much of the sugar stuff, but now and then I really do want salty stuff and salt is something I've been trying to limit in my diet more, just more than in the past. Um, but so like I, I've heard from Dr. Gregor recently that, um, salt cravings typically will go away after three to four weeks of, of having really low salt in your diet but the question is how do you get three or four weeks like uh, how do you get past those three or four weeks that's a really long time so i would suggest if if that sort of thing is an issue uh just breaking it up like say give yourself a little three-day challenge of of not much sugar or a seven-day challenge or a 10-day challenge i really like those things because they they let you you know they let you work they're, they're a challenge uh, and when they give you a, like, there's a finish line ahead. So it doesn't feel like you can never eat sugar again. It feels like I just need to get five more days before I can eat this. And then if I want, I can have it. But typically by the time you get there, you're not in that moment in the sugar state. And you can decide at that point if you want to extend this or what you want to do. So I think they're helpful. If you're the type of person who will binge on sugar after you complete a seven day challenge because you miss it so much, then maybe it's not the most useful thing. But, uh, it's just a strategy that I think is, is really useful for changes like that. Just getting yourself used to small little periods where, where there is a finish line in sight though sounds great okay next one from joseph who says uh thank you for the protein guide i've read that getting five to ten percent of your calories from protein is all you need to meet your body's protein requirement how do you calculate the percentage of calories from protein from your guide below so joe is referring to the the plant-based protein grocery list guide that we have as an opt-in thing for no meat athlete where if you sign up for the emails you get this thing uh which you know i i think it's I, I offer that because it gets people in the door. People come to the site wanting to know about protein, and it's sort of my Trojan horse, I guess. You know, give them that thing about protein, and then start talking to people more about how like you really don't need to think about it that much. As it seems that Joseph has kind of gotten wind of that, that five to ten percent of your calories is is enough. So I mean, first of all, I would say that figure is kind of low, five to ten percent. I do think like if you just eat fruits and vegetables, raw fruits and vegetables, nothing but that, maybe some potatoes, maybe some rice, like you will get in that range, 5 to 10%, and you'll probably be fine. I think if you look at USDA guidelines and things like that, those aren't they're not based on percentages. They're based on grams of protein per kilogram of body weight. Uh, and if you look on those, I think you know, you'll probably end up more like, if you, if you convert that into percentage of total calories, you'll probably find that it's around somewhere between 10 and 15, probably like 12% of protein. Um, so you know, f- I think 5 to 10% is probably fine. Most people aim for a little bit more than that. Um, how do you calculate the percentage though? So that's actually a pretty simple thing. You just take the grams of protein and you multiply that number by four. And I guess you would just look at a daily basis. You could look at any basis you want, but just take your daily grams of protein, multiply that by four, 
and that will give you the number of protein calories that you got. And then you would then divide that number into your total calories. So for example, let's say you get 50 grams of protein during a day. That would be multiplied by four gets 200 calories from protein. If you were eating a 2000 calorie diet, then 200 divided by 2000 or 2000 divided by no 200 divided by 2000 would be 10%. Uh, so you would have 10% of your calories from protein. So pretty simple. Uh, there is a post on No Meat Athlete. If you Google No Meat Athlete protein percentage or vegan protein percentage, you will find the post I wrote that explains that that little calculation. And then just to, I mean, you know, you were saying that if you did fruits and vegetables only, a little bit of grains, then that would be somewhere between 5 and 10%, right? Yeah, so I mean, like 80-10-10 diet is, is raw fruits mm-hmm. and vegetables, and that the idea is there is that will land you around 10% protein. And so if you were eating higher protein foods like beans and nuts and seeds and things like that, then it wouldn't be that much. It wouldn't be that hard. Of course, those are higher calorie food as well. Um, but, but they're also higher percentage food too, higher percentage protein. Right. So it wouldn't be that much harder to bump it up to the 12%. Right. Is what I'm saying. Correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And like, I don't, I don't think if you're eating any of that foods, I don't think you need really to put any effort. Like this is, it's, it's I'm glad Joe that you were doing this calculation because it's a worthwhile thing to do this a couple times for a few typical days in your diet. But once you've seen what it takes or what, what a typical day gets you, then you don't need to be doing this anymore. You figure out where you were, and if you're a little bit low, then you aim to get a little more. If you're a little bit high, then you can you can relax that a little bit. Um, yeah, so I don't... Let's see, anything else to say? I thought I had something else to say about protein, but I don't know what it was. Well, I just, just a question that I get a lot, um, and I'm sure you know I know that you've gotten a lot as well, is... Where do you get your... No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> is, is, do you think that athletes, endurance athletes, need to worry about getting more protein than, than non-athletes? Yeah, I don't... That's a good question. I don't, there's, I don't think there's a definitive answer. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt Rusigno has written a post for No Meat Athlete about this where he addressed this idea. He might have said the same thing in our book as well, that yes, you need more protein, but that's only because you need more calories. So, mm-hmm. so, so you can stick to the same percentage of protein and you'll be fine. Um, because you're eating more already. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chris Carmichael, in his book, Food for Fitness, or Eat Right to Train Right, or something like that, uh, his his macronutrient ratio there, he has different ones for different seasons, but it was like 65% carbohydrate and something in the 12 to 15% protein range. So even somebody who's not not a plant-based advocate uh, is saying 12 to 15 is is perfect for endurance athletes. So that seems to be totally fine for endurance. A good question, though, is do either strength type speed athletes or people who are who who aren't even necessarily in it for the strength but just want to bulk up and want bigger muscles do they need more protein uh i think that's more of an argument there that that maybe they do i don't i don't really know for sure but i've just you know looking at at some of the vegan bodybuilding communities it appears that many of them are after more protein i don't know if that's because it's a legitimate need or just because they're kind of it's left over from the non-vegan bodybuilding days uh but I don't know. I think that's more of a discussion is, is whether those athletes can benefit from, from more protein. Word. Word. All right. Next one from Anna says, this is not a question about vegan sports nutrition, but veganism in sports. Mm. Um, synchronized swimmers use gelatin to knox their hair back. That's K-N-O-X. Forming a very strong water-resistant helmet to maintain their hairstyle while swimming in competition. Sounds like what I did in middle school. Just, just, just... <laughs> <laughs> not for swimming just just, yeah, just for, like a to be awesome helmet hair yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. i'm seeking proving alternatives proven alternatives to gelatin noxing first of all i like the word noxing 
I just think it, it sounds like moshing or planking, and uh, I think I think it's the word we should all use more. Dude, your your knocks look real good. Right? <laughs> Sweet knocks. <laughs> Sweet knocks, man. Um, unfortunately, I don't have any any proven alternatives. <laughs> I yeah, mean, probably the uh, the knocking that you did in middle school <laughs> as soon as you jumped in the pool would would yeah <laughs> would not be water resistant. No. I don't know though. I mean, there might be some serious helmet airs out there that that are water resistant. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I cannot help you, Anna. But uh, I, we figured we'd read this question just in case someone does have a suggestion. And in that case, I don't know. You could tweet it to Doug or I. I am No Meat Athlete on Twitter. Doug is Rock Creek Runner on Twitter. And you know, I'm not sure that we'll get a chance to talk about this again. But you know, this is funny enough that if someone does have a have a good alternative to Noxie, we can probably bring it up next time. I think it could be a good Doug's Did You Know. It could be a really good one. But this, for me, this brings up a more interesting question. I mean, not that this isn't an interesting question, but but for uh, a wider variety of readers, is a lot of sports gear, not a lot, but there, a lot of common sports gear isn't necessarily vegan. You know, I mean, even a lot of running shoes use um, glue that, that isn't vegan or um, a batting glove and or a catching glove i guess a baseball glove a glove <laughs> a glove yeah, yeah. Uh, you know is made out of leather you know so what how do you decide where your line is i guess if you're you if you're playing a sport that uses yeah equipment like so that. i mean i think in a lot of situations like the, i don't know about baseball gloves i think at one point i heard i saw an article online of a pitcher who was using a vegan baseball glove hmm. and i don't even know if it was because he was vegan it was some weird thing like why he wanted to do that so, I mean, I think you can get, typically you can find the alternatives. But what about like, is an is a NFL football made out of real pigskin? Is that is that still pigskin or is it something so. animal skin? It's probably, yeah. I think right. So. so, I mean, in that case, you have to, if you want to play, right. you have to handle it. Are um, soccer I guess you could, just, you could be defensive. And, and just, basketball? I mean, I never even thought about it. Are basketballs vegan? I, I think basketballs are rubber, aren't they? <laughs> Is the outside rubber? I don't know. I have no idea. I don't either. There's all different kinds of basketballs, though. Yeah. So, I don't know. Baseball. A baseball is, is cowhide or something, right? That white stuff? Sure. The white thing? I guess so. I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think you, uh, at, at some point, you just have to do it if you want to play those sports at that kind of level. I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, I mean... Probably at lower levels, they're not using genuine leather baseballs or genuine leather. I mean, so I don't know. Maybe you can avoid it for a while. If you're just throwing, playing toss with your 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 son or daughter, then you could you could choose a ball, but it's not. Uh, yeah, genuine leather, right? Yeah. So I don't know. And I guess another interesting question, and this is something that I I always appreciate when I see this, is when there are vegan athletes who, you know, like who restrict their running shoe choices to the vegan shoes. Right? There there are probably vegan runners out there who wish they could wear a certain shoe because it's the one they perform best in or the one that treats their body the best, but they just don't because it has animal products. And I think that's cool that, that someone can say, well, I'm, I'm standing outside of this whole world and I'm going to use my only the shoes that work for me and I'm still going to compete at the top level. Like that, that's a really neat thing. Um, I, you know, but I guess there are probably vegan athletes out there who, who make the other choice so that they can become a big name as a vegan athlete. And they're also helping to spread the message. If they, if they do give in and wear non-vegan shoes if that helps them become a pro i mean i don't know who knows yeah i mean i think i think it's a personal choice if you have the option i think obviously it's a personal choice of of your 
your ethics versus um, your performance, and and you have to kind of balance that and and play that. And and hopefully, you know, hopefully there will be more and more good options. There's certainly great vegan running shoes um, that you know that you can choose as an alternative. But yeah, it is. It's an interesting. It is question. Yeah, I mean, because there, there's a limit to how far you can go with being, with saying I am not going to use any animal products just because the world isn't arranged that way. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, if you get picked up in a car for something and it has leather seats, right? Are you going to sit out and say I'm not, I refuse to go, to go in there, or I refuse to go in this friend's house because they have leather couches and I'm not going to support that? Some people might do that, but like, especially with cars, like if you're going to do modern life, then sometimes there are going to be animal products in there. So I think. I think it's it's a question of how far are you willing to go with that? Like, if could you say the same thing about if you're going to play baseball, there are going to be animal products in there, or are you going to go really far and, and you know avoid it at all costs and mm-hmm. eventually say I'm going to pick a different sport because of that who knows hard questions. And then just to transition a little bit away, sorry, Anna, this is like totally <laughs> off topic, but, but uh, you know when it comes to leather belts and and leather dress shoes and things like that, um, I know that I still have some leather shoes that. I, you know, purchased before I even went vegetarian that, um, you know, I, I have around and, and I use when, when I need to. And, and that, that kind of brings up, like, how, what do you do with those? Do you just throw them away or do you use them until they fall apart? Um, you know, now I feel a little bit weird using them because everyone knows that I'm vegan. Right. Um, and, and, you know, what, what are they thinking or if they, you know, I don't know if they notice that kind of thing because it doesn't stand out to a lot of people. But, um, you know, now I kind of feel a little weird about wearing those shoes or, or a leather belt. Um, but at the same time, it's, they're perfectly good items, and um, I guess I could donate them, or or I could just use them until I need to buy something else, and then choose a not or choose a vegan option. Yeah, I've even wondered. Like, I even feel weird wearing non-vegan shoes that look like leather because I feel like if, mm. if people see that, they're like, "Well, that guy's wearing leather, right?" And so if yeah. anyone, if they just know I'm vegan, then then it looks like I'm kind of being inconsistent with with my values there. So I even feel weird about that, and I don't I don't know how to handle it. Um, for me, it's been like, I just kind of have replaced things as they've worn away. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But then like, you know, there were a few things where I started getting, I got a pair of of New Balance sandals once as a gift just for like a media gift when I went to this retreat of theirs and ended up donating them just because I just, it was weird. I was at the, at the phase where I was still, still had other leather stuff that I was keeping, Mm -hmm. uh, like a wallet and belt and just was waiting for it to wear out before I replaced it with a vegan version. But like once I started getting that, I just started donating that stuff. And uh, for some reason that for me, sort of signaled a shift. I don't know. I think maybe you just become, you get to, like, like you said, like you're at this point now where suddenly it feels weird. But for the first few years, you probably didn't even think twice about it and it right. was just normal. I mean, I still have a leather wallet that I, yeah. <laughs> that I use. Yeah. And, but I think, I think once you start feeling weird about it, then mm-hmm. that's probably when it becomes time. Yeah. And for me, at least with the wallet and then the dress shoes that I still do wear sometimes, um, it's to give them, I could give them away and they would be used, I'm sure. Um, you know, after I'd given them away, but, but then that would require me buying something else new mm-hmm. and, and, and that's wasteful. I, you know, and then that's wasteful. Right. So, yeah. um, so for me, I am, I have, I have decided to continue using those things until they have, are no longer serving me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's a personal choice. It's like the, it's like the food question of if you get served, if you get a vegan item served to you accidentally or a non-vegan item served to you accidentally, mm-hmm. my mindset used to be that I was going to eat that. Cause I wasn't, first of all, didn't want to be making a scene about it and bring 
a bad name to veganism, but it was also like, I didn't want this. If, if, if I'm against animals suffering and one has for this, are we now just going to throw that away so that, so that that animal suffered for nothing? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know the answer. I used to say uh, I would, I would eat that stuff. Now I, now I think I wouldn't. Um, but the, they're hard questions and I think everyone's, everyone's going to handle them differently for sure. So but thanks, thanks for that question. <laughs> yeah. Yes. All right. Um, yeah. So Anna, if you have if you have some old knocks, you could just you could just keep using it until it runs out, and then switch over to something else. I, it just straight gelatin, I guess, is what you use to knocks your hair back, according mm-hmm. to Anna. So it's not even a product, I don't think. It's wow. just gelatin. Okay. This one's from Giada. She says, "Do you have any experience and/or advice for a bandy-legged runner?" Uh, what is your opinion on orthopedic shoes for running in case of leg misalignment? Okay, I had to look up a bandy-legged runner. Didn't know what that meant. I thought it was like candy-ass runner or something. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's not what it is. It's uh, bow-legged. It, it's bow-legged. Yeah. The knees are far apart, which is something that I have always... Uh, one physical therapist said, pointed it out to me that, that my legs are sort of bow-shaped. I don't know if anyone would... If that, qualifies as bow-legged. I don't know if you have to have a certain amount of bowing in your legs to be considered bow-legged, but if I just look at my legs when I stand in shoes, they, they do sort of have an outward curve to them. Uh, and this, I was told, was the reason for my first four years of running having so many shin issues. I would have shin splints and stress fractures because I wouldn't really know that I should stop running or how to treat the shin splints, so I would just keep running through them. Shins would eventually get stress fractures, and I figured because of the shape of these legs, maybe there's extra you know, pressure on certain points, which would kind of make sense. Um, that would be leading to a stress fracture. I don't really know if that's true anymore. Like once, once I figured it out just by getting running form correctly, I started doing the 180 steps per minute thing. And the other major change I made around that time was moved from stability shoes, which, which everyone, every running store was saying, wear these because they're going to help you with this overpronating. That probably was not unrelated to the, to the leg shape thing. Uh, but I finally like got so fed up with that that I said, I'm this time I'm leaving the running store not with any, not with anything except for a shoe that I just think feels good on. I was just at the end. I was like, I'm just going to try this instead. I'm going to get something that feels good, and that's it. And I got neutral shoes, and that was kind of the same time as I discovered this running form thing, and that's when I ran my first marathon. So I ran it in those neutral shoes that I bought that day. So because of that, I don't think orthopedic shoes for running for the vast majority of people are are what you need. But... In this case, uh, Giada says, in the case of leg misalignment, what's your opinion on orthopedic shoes? You know, I think in in extreme cases, cases where your legs are, are very abnormal, then, you know, I, I wouldn't let any sort of purism around running say you shouldn't use orthopedic shoes. I would say that may be exactly what you need if it, if it you know, changes the alignment of your legs so that it becomes normal. Uh, I mean, typically, I, I'm very suspect of trying to control any motion like like the motion control shoes or the stability shoes uh that that's not letting your foot do what it wants to do but when you have something that is clearly not how human legs are supposed to be uh maybe that's an exception so i I don't really know couldn't i mean of course you want to talk to a doctor about that not not two jerks on a podcast (laughs) but uh i don't know you know it sounds like this would be a case if it's a severe thing where where it's definitely worth considering shoes that aren't neutral or aren't minimal or or whatever. Yeah. My, my general thought on orthopedic shoes and insoles and things like that is, is similar to yours. And it, it, but that they, are, they can be good tools if you're rehabbing an injury or if you're coming back from something. Um, they can be nice transitional tools to, 
to make sure that you're building up strength and, and you know, getting back out there. Um, and then you phase them out. But um, I don't I don't think that for most people they're good in the long term uh, for you to be using orthopedic shoes or stability shoes or anything like that. Um, but, you know, again, if it's an extreme case and, and that's the only way that you can run injury-free, then certainly that's better than... Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, if... if... If you can avoid it, then certainly probably better not to have that motion control. But if that's the only thing that's going to let you run injury free, then or or if you have not found anything yet that's going to let you run injury free, then it's worth a try for sure to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe as technology gets better and you know they can just three D print whatever shoes are needed, maybe they'll be able to start making shoes that that are orthopedic in the right way that allows you to run, but still maintain some of this minimalism ideas, these things that does make your foot let your foot respond the way it wants to in certain cases. Who knows? Uh, but good question there, Giada. All right, next one is from Jan or Jan, depending on what hemisphere the person is from. Uh, hey, Matt, I would love to leave meat and animal products behind, but did you find your blood sugar was harder to control when you cut out meat? Eating meat, I keep my blood sugar around 100 after eating. Now I find it goes to upper 120s and 130s after eating when cutting out meat. Do you have any suggestions? Okay, so uh, I don't really know very much at all about blood sugar. It was never something that I paid attention to, you know, after eating or anything, either before or after going vegetarian and then vegan. Um, So I don't really have any personal experience with blood sugar or where it should be or how it responds to certain foods. Only The only thing I know from that is like what I have heard from other people. And just recently when I was in Toronto, I saw Dr. Greger's talk. And in his, this is Dr. Michael Greger, whose site is nutritionfacts.org, a wonderful resourceful site or resource, wonderful resource of a site. Um, just tons of good information. But his talks are always about, just goes through all different studies showing how different, often common killers in, in the United States, but in this case in Canada, uh, you know, how, how they are, how the plant-based diet addresses these common killers. And he mentioned blood sugar issues, and, and this is, you know, totally just what I am recalling, so I have no idea how accurate it was. But it looked like it was, he was saying that, Although fruit juice and any other sort of kind of added sugar, uh, of course, is going to have a big effect on that. It turned out that that whole fruit just added to a diet would tend to lower blood sugar, not raise it. Uh, but the distinction there is that it's whole fruit. It's not juiced and it's not, not just the sugar from a fruit, but the actual whole fruit. So that's, like I said, not something to, to make any health decisions on. I mean, go, go to nutritionfacts.org, and in fact, you can go to his blood sugar page, um, nutritionfacts.org slash topic slash blood dash sugar. Probably if you Google Michael Greger blood sugar, you will you will find it as well. Um, and he has a bunch of videos there about, about different blood sugar things. So I, I, there's tons of different stuff there about, about mostly giving you the signal that whole foods are better than processed foods for blood sugar. Um, but I don't know. I don't know anything about if you just remove meat. From, it sounds like what, what Jan is talking about here is just removing meat from the diet and otherwise eating everything else pretty much the same that now the blood sugar is spiking. So, you know, I, I don't know at all about that, but uh, but I, I don't think that, you know, by any means you should conclude that a plant-based diet doesn't work for controlling blood sugar because I think it, it absolutely can. Doug, resident blood sugar expert, what do you have to say about that? <laughs> Our blood sugar correspondent? Uh, yeah, I got nothing. <laughs> nothing there. You stick to the environment stick and butt coats and... <laughs> and breathing techniques. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Okay, I hope Bud Coates listens to this podcast. I'm saying here's just <laughs> randomly dropping his name for some reason. He's gotten a lot of shout outs. <laughs> he has. I Running mean, on I air by Bud Coates. Doug's favorite book. I am his number one fan. I know you are. 
Okay, this one is from Hallie. Uh, says, hey Matt, I'm vegetarian, looking for a gelatin supplement to help keep my skin healthy and also provide digestive support. What would you recommend for a gelatin supplement besides Knox that is not made with animal tissues? <laughs> I heard there are sea and plant-based gelatin for vegans, but I'm not sure what brand is reliable. Thank you for your time. Um, so I did not know that there was that there was a such thing as plant-based gelatin. I thought the definition of gelatin was this product that was made from whatever, boiling animal bones or something, and you get mm-hmm. this film or who knows. Um, so I don't know if, if there are actually plant-based gelatins or if it's just a plant-based gelatin alternative. I have heard of pectins being used in a similar manner, like apple pectin or fruit pectin. Uh, so that may be something to to look for. Uh, beyond that, the only thing I know is there are a few brands that um, are committed to vegan skincare. And one of them is is Arbon A R B O N N E. That's another one of these network marketing MLM type things, which I have no uh, relationship with, other than knowing a few people, a few people who do it. Uh, I don't know if they are 100 percent vegan, but I know many of their products are, and they will certainly tell you which ones are and which aren't. And I heard recently from someone that Aveda A V E D A, which you'll see in a lot of shopping malls and other places, that those are vegan. I don't know again if that's something that is across the board vegan products or if they you know, just stick to the ingredients that they say are in there and it's not a bunch of unnatural stuff. And if you just look at which ones are vegan, it's it's pretty clear which ones, or which ones don't have gelatin, it's pretty clear which ones are vegan. So those are the only two brands I know there. Um, it's kind of all I got. Same here. That's it? That's it. Okay. Uh, yeah, although I guess Hallie was also asking about digestive support, um, which which I don't... Yeah, I mean, Ar- I think Arbon, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, I think they actually do make... Lots of things you can eat as well, protein powders and all that other stuff. So who knows? Maybe you'll find something there. Okay, last one. We're, we're coming to the end of our Q&A episode. Uh, this is from Tim. He says, I have registered for my first century ride, that's 100 miles, and realized this will be a challenge. Conditioning and nutrition are key to success. With that being said, and both cycling and marathons are endurance events, can you provide any reading or suggestions to ensure I will have enough fuel to finish the ride? Recovery is also very important as I hope to stay out of the saddle for just one day to rest. All this is new to me, and I can certainly use all the direction that I can get. Okay, so I guess the essence of this question then is basically how do you eat uh, as, as a, I don't know if Tim is a new vegan or if he's just a new cyclist, but uh, how do you eat as a, as a plant-based athlete on a long endurance thing? And I think a century ride Typically, when I've talked to cycling people, it sounds like it's more or less equivalent to a marathon in terms of amount of time it takes most people to do it. It took uh, me. It took me closer to like six and a half, seven hours. You did a century ride. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. A long time ago. Hmm. That may be because you're an ultra runner, and you're like slow. You know. Yeah. You're just, it's like, <laughs> um. Okay. So that that's I think, actually. I think that four hours and less would be pretty fast for. Okay. So maybe it's more like a fifty k. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is good to know. Um, so, in that case, could we? Would you say it would be as he, as Tim said? You know, cycling and marathons are are both endurance events. Would we say that it's fairly similar to the nutrition strategy in a fifty k, or are there more intense up and downs or something in cycling than there might be in a fifty k? Probably not, right? No, I mean, I, I would say that it, it's very similar. So, if you if you read some of the stuff we have on the I mean, athlete about fueling for. A marathon or an ultra marathon, um, and for for recovery, I think that it's it would be very similar. And and I don't know about all century rides, but the one I did um, had aid stations like a like a ultra marathon where every 
you know, hour or so, you'd come up to a place that had some sandwiches and and food and different drinks for you to fill up your bottles. Uh, and so in that in that sense, it was very similar in that you could just um, use some sort of energy gel or uh, gummy or dates or something like that, uh, and then supplement with some more whole foods that uh, at the aid stations. Yeah, so I mean, I, I think Tim's question is general enough that, that really he could just like do research on general. How, how do you eat during a marathon or how do you eat during an endurance event? How do you eat during an ultra marathon um, or probably even, even during a century ride? Uh, and, and you'll find general principles that we could tell you the exact same principles, how much carbohydrate, how many calories you want per hour and how, how to balance salt and, and hydration. Like that's too much for us to go into for sure here, but you can find that general information and, and almost all of it is, is going to be more, um, you know, able to be done with the plant-based diet than even like general diet advice would diet advice would, because it turns out that a lot of the foods that are recommended typically during these races, even for omnivores ended up being, you know, very high percentage of vegan food among them, just because it becomes more about getting these sugars in for most people, uh, not, not the fat type people, which was right, not fat people, but the, <laughs> the, the people who are trying to get their body to burn fat, I guess that's right. going to be a different strategy. Yep. Um, but, you know, a lot of the, I think Scott Jurek was the one who pointed this out a long time ago, that, that like a lot of the, when people are running or, or doing any other exercise, they typically are vegan during that time. Mm-hmm. Not in a strict sense of the word, because certainly a lot of these sports supplements like are, are made with some amount of milk or who knows what just might be in them that's not vegan. But most of the calories you're getting are probably vegan. Uh, so it's not, it's not like the advice is that different. The, the main challenge I would say is, and this, this applies to ultra marathons as well, is that you don't really, you often can't be sure of what food's going to be available at the aid station. So you can't quite like, well, if you weren't vegan, didn't have this dietary restriction, you could just trust that the aid stations are going to have plenty of food and you can get what you need to follow your strategy by just using what the aid stations have. But if you're vegan and you show up and there's almost nothing for you there to eat, that can really limit your strategy and force you to not be able to follow the the strategy that you've laid out for yourself. So as Doug said, uh, dates, of course, are one of my favorites, uh, just in being a lot like energy gels in their in their makeup, they have somewhat more fiber though. So for a really long ride, I would I'd be careful with them. But I think for a century ride, reasonable amount of uh, time, and and not you're not gonna get in too much trouble by just eating dates and the fiber that they have. Um, I don't know. I mean, what else to say? I mean, you've, it's just a matter of, like fruit fruit juice. They are really nice natural alternatives. Oftentimes in ultra marathon aid stations, you can get fruit, so that's a nice thing to be able to rely on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, figure out. So the the other thing when you're on the bike is it's a little harder to eat, like, right? So right uh, at the aid stations, I, I, you know, the one I went to was not a race at all; it was just a ride. So people would get off and hang out at the mm-hmm. aid stations, which right? it sounds like what he's doing. Well, yeah. he called it a ride. So, um, but you know, but as far as getting in nutrition while you're riding, so in between those stations, um, probably the easiest thing is to drink them, right? So some sort of sports drink like heat or tailwind that has, um, you know, has calories in it and has everything that, you know, the right formula. Yeah. Um, something like that would be a good way to, to get in nutrition while you're riding. Yeah. And probably, I mean, the race is probably going to have, or the ride is probably going to have a, a sports drink sponsor and that will be the sports drink they are serving. You can probably find that out in advance what it is. Uh, but I think what a lot of people would probably do is just if, if you're worried about it or if, if what they have is not vegan or it's one that just for whatever reason doesn't work for you, uh, you can have your own with you in powdered form, and you're probably easier on a bike than than running, and just carry some some small tub of it or a small pouch of it, 
and just refill with water at the aid stations and then just mix your own drink on your bike as you go. Um, so that's that's kind of all I really have to say about it. I mean, he says recovery is also important too. Like, yeah, sure, but that's that's not going to be anything atypical. It's You'll be really hungry probably every two hours for the rest of the day after that and maybe the next day too. Uh, but that's that just comes down to eating good whole I think foods. he means during during training. He says, I hope to stay out of the saddle. That's that's bike lingo, Doug, for I just know, one like, day to rest afterward. I, I, I assume he meant like one day a week. But maybe uh, right. okay. I thought he meant one day afterwards. Well, either way, yeah, either way, I would treat it like a like any other endurance run. So would I. Okay, uh, so that yeah, good question. Tim. That is a good question. I wish I wish it was uh, just slightly more specific, so we could actually give good advice instead of just telling you to go Google it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I really do. I wish. I'm, I'm sorry that we don't have more specific stuff, but there. But it's just pretty broad. Okay, uh, that that will do it for our Q and A episode. I don't know if, how many of these things we've done now. Probably probably five or so, but mm-hmm. uh, they're enjoyable as long as we don't we don't make them too long. Remember that day we tried to do like thirty in one day? Yeah, that was terrible. That was too much. Yeah, that was too many. But these are good. Um, we appreciate them. If you have questions and you want us to answer them, and you're cool with us reading your question and your name and possibly making fun of you on the air, then <laughs> submit it. Send it to Matt at nomadathlete.com or put it in Twitter to us. Uh, and Esther's the one who picks these usually for us. So, uh, can't guarantee we'll answer it, but if, but if it's an interesting question, then there's a good chance that we will. So please do that. Uh, we, we really like reading them and answering them. Uh, the other thing to do, we haven't asked people recently to leave us ratings and reviews on iTunes, but it's really important. It's, it's a crucial thing. I wish they had a different system, but apparently with iTunes, you've got to just keep them coming all the time. It's not like you can get a bunch of reviews up front and then you're set for life. You kind of need to keep people having them reviewing them in order for iTunes to promote your show. So uh, I've gotten so much positive feedback recently about this show, as I've probably mentioned on here before. Whenever I do live events, it just seems there's just been such a shift in the past three years from people saying, hey, I read the blog and love it and thank you so much and all that, to I listen to your podcast and I listen to every episode and you and Doug are great together and you have wonderful chemistry <laughs> and I hope you never decide to take a break from each other. <laughs> um, Sorry, guys. But it was Matt, not me. It's only a one-week break. <laughs> um... So anyway, that, that is awesome. And, and I love hearing that stuff. Also, Doug, a lot of people are asking, when are you going to start coming to these events that I go to? People, uh. people. So if you're an event person out there, people want Doug Hay at, at the events. There you go. There I would you love go. to. Love to. So anyway, um, anyway, if you would do us a favor, if you're a fan of the show and you like what we do, then we would really appreciate it if you could go over to iTunes. Just look up No Meat Athlete on iTunes and click the button that says leave a rating or review and leave us a nice one because and, and it really helps. Go ahead and create like three or four fake accounts and go yes. ahead and you know, leave Definitely all those Definitely do that. Yeah, <laughs> of course. That's assumed that you would do that. Oh, yeah. All right. I think that's all we got. Like we said, we're taking a one-week break, our first one in a long time to celebrate the American Independence Holiday. Uh, on com will be a new post going up. Actually, by the time this thing is live, it will already be up, right? Yep. Made by none other than Doug Hay himself. About, I think, 18 right. amazing dishes for the ultimate vegan-friendly 4th of July ever. That's right. So That's a good one. you don't want to miss that one. Check it out. Yep. All right. So please do that, and please leave us a rating and review. And we hope you enjoy your holiday if you celebrate it. And if you don't, then we hope you enjoy a week break from the Nomi Radio episodes. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye.